0: Well, the other day, the other day, uh, I was chatting with Bill in the lobby and he said totally like three times. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is where I, I think got, got it. it
1: from you. Really? I think you're, I think you are patient zero for, 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 for totally. So you get that paddle and I get that. I'll paddle, take it. But we totally. To
0: well, um. <laughs> I think most of us are here. We can start the show, which we've actually been streaming already for a little while. Um, but that's on brand. Uh, for That's us your
1: coffee. I'm so sorry. Where did my coffee go?
0: Uh. <laughs> oh, welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast live and in person. And I'm going to do my best to, uh, well, you might have come to watch the show. You might have come to watch the train wreck, you know, um, <laughs> because I'm going to try and produce the show and uh participate in the show all at the same time, which could be kind of comical, so um, I think this might be
1: the podcast that at least disobeys the most rules about making a podcast, yeah, maybe, yeah, you just I, keep adding more stuff that you like I could just you even added camera angles, yeah, like you're all you're <laughs> you all, all on all camera on welcome to the show
0: um you can't see it up there because yeah, because I don't know how to do that yet um yet. I thought about tidying this up and cleaning it up, but again, it wouldn't be on brand if everything was no, tidy No, you were going to get a haircut. I was, and, and I decided was that happened. wasn't on brand, uh, mainly because I heard that when I had long hair, it threatened your hair prowess. It
1: did. I didn't like I didn't care for it. Um, Would those, you guys like
0: some volume coming from the speaker by any chance? Is that helpful?
1: Yes. Oh, man. Now it really feels like a live
0: event. It does. Is that too loud? Uh, How are we doing? Mm. Yeah, it's a little more echoey online with that, but that's okay, because you're our, if you're here in person, you're our primary audience. Um, those who stream online, uh, which is zero people. <laughs> I spent a long time talking to all these people. <laughs> There's no one there. Uh, let's be honest. That's kind of how our show works most of the time anyway. Um,
1: I actually had a friend who was in a band, and I went to, uh, like, he wasn't my type of music. It was like that screamo type music. But I was very supportive of him, so I went along to, to watch a gig. And I and his girlfriend were the only two people in the audience. There were more people on stage than in the audience, and more people on stage by a considerable margin as well.
0: Wow. Like,
1: so that could have been tonight, but it wasn't. Oh, we and so this is people. what happens when
0: I produce the show. It's not even on us. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, so you we'll start with sort of our beginning that we normally start with where you give us a little summary of
1: are you sure, are you sure? <laughs> yeah well
0: well we already started with our normal start uh, okay yeah yeah um and then we'll get to questions from all of you i don't think we have any questions uh that came in online yet did you email me your question yet no we just verbally talked about it you sent okay. me a question yes i did yeah how long ago? I don't remember which like, one that is.
1: Oh, I remember what it was. It okay. was. It was. Do you believe that salvation is by faith alone?
0: Oh, there—that did come in. Yeah. All right. So which I'm going to pull one up of those our terrifying
1: questions. questions as a pastor, because you're like, oh my goodness, what do they think of me? Uh, like, <laughs> is this like how bad it's gotten?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, would you just give us a brief summary of the kickoff of the series? Mm. I again. Tonight, we're sort of breaking the rules. Most weeks, we try and have our questions sort of focused predominantly. On the subject matter that Alex preached the previous week. Or you um, preached the previous week. Or whatever. Or someone else preached yeah, week. Uh, but this week. Yeah. But tonight we're going to open up for questions just across the board. Um, we do our best to field questions across the board every week anyway. But <laughs> in case there's ever too many questions, that's how we'll narrow it down. I love it. Right now it's like one a week. So, <laughs> um, so we're fine. Stop talking about bad statistics. All right. So would you give us a summary, Alex, about yeah. uh, the questions uh, that you asked? Well, right it was, it
1: was the first week of uh, starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is, if you can imagine yourself for a second um, reading the New Testament thinking, I want to figure out what these people believe, it's like the first, like, bulk teaching of Jesus that you come across. That's a great jingle. We got, I love it. There we go. <laughs> uh, perfect. Um, and so it's, yeah, the first time you come across, like, this bulk teaching. Uh, and so that's where we're landing as a church community for a while, uh, and it felt like it would be useful to give like this summary of of kind of what what the heartbeat is behind it. Because if you just start, and you get to do this part next week, which I'm so jealous about.
0: You made me so nervous on Sunday. I did. Because you get right to the edge of starting to dig into my to my talk <laughs> my sermon, and then you back away, and then you get right to the edge, and I was like, and then you back away. I was like, come on, don't don't. Tell them too much. I did have this moment.
1: I was like, what if I just said all the things I want to say? (laughs) And next week, Aaron's like, what Alex said last week.
0: (laughs) There's going to be some of that. Spoiler alert for this coming Sunday. There's going to be a little bit of what Alex said last week. I
1: I didn't get anywhere close. (laughs) Anyway, if you just start off straight away, Jesus says, he starts off by saying, blessed are the poor. I'm just going to hold that up. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Um, which is, is like... I feel like in seminary there was some education about how to start sermons. Um, now, I don't think I follow any of those. I don't even remember. I just remember getting bad scores in seminary class for preaching. Okay. Um, I know they said I played with my hair too much or something like that. Uh, I can't remember what the reasons were, but there were many of them. Um, uh, <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I'm good with openings particularly, but I wouldn't start like that. Like blessed of the poor is such a fascinating way to start a sermon. Yeah, is that really like where you want to go initially? Um, and, and if you're a 21st century person, then it's really unclear. Um, hmm. Like, what what what's Jesus even saying there? Um, happy of the poor is is really odd because we all, I, I, if any of you in the room have been poor or maybe are still poor, um, you know it's not very happy. Uh, it's lots of things, but happy is probably not one of them. Yeah, um, and that is getting into what you are talking about next week. Yeah, don't uh, give. Was, yeah, don't give anything.
0: Yeah, I'm um, scared.
1: So, so I tried to like hold this. Like, well, what what is Jesus' starting point for this Sermon on the Mount? And if you go back a little bit further from Matthew chapter four, five into chapter four, he simply begins uh, by saying, or it says, Jesus began preaching, "Repent for the kingdom of God." is at hand, um, or something very close to that. Um, yes. And we get to see your wizardry here in action, potentially. I don't know.
0: Maybe. No. Don't maybe know. we will, maybe we won't.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know. There we go. Look at Ta-da. you. Look at this.
1: Uh, now we just need a camera angle looking at that. Yeah. You can't do that.
0: Oh, yeah? <laughs> Boom.
1: Look at you go. Uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew's terms, uh, has come near now. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God. To a Jewish person, um, is probably not uh, a lot of difference in that. There is actually this fascinating aspect to Matthew in that, because of some historians that seem to quote him on this, like almost, almost like ironic level, that there is this pretty strong evidence that Matthew was written in Hebrew originally. And oh, translated really? into Greek. So there's actually, I'm trying to remember, it, it might be in, it's, it's probably not going to be Josephus, it's, it's one of the others, but he, they kind of make fun of the, uh, the not an eye for an eye principle. It's kind of like a little kind of like twist on it, and it just seems like it's like referencing Matthew, or something Jesus said in Matthew, but he's talking about it in Hebrew which means that he's probably written in Hebrew. So for a Jewish person to say the kingdom of God, like God was only used very carefully. It wasn't just thrown around as a term. Um, And certainly like the kingdom of Yahweh would be really, you know, you didn't use that word very often. So Matthew kind of probably moves to kingdom of heaven just out of Jewish sensibility.
0: So Um, give us a little bit more context just about Matthew in general. So what's the direction that Matthew's focused on? The audience, some context there.
1: Yeah, so I mean, he seems like pretty clearly interested in, in the idea that Jesus is king. Um, he, he seems very interested in the idea that Jesus is the fil- fulfillment of the promise of Messiah. Um, all of those different themes seem to come out pretty strongly.
0: And it seems like he's also um, predominantly focused on a Jewish audience in yeah, this gospel. De-
1: definitely, yeah, So yeah.
0: there's like deep, even like... The concept, which you, you must have had to cut a little bit because we talked about the previous week, but the idea of going up on a mountain, like this is a significant imagery uh-huh. of him. Um, lots of significant things happen on mountains in the Jewish history. Yeah. Moses, the transfiguration that comes later. There's like mountains represent like the voice of God, mm-hmm. the speaking for, for God. So I, I didn't actually
1: cut that. I just forgot.
0: <laughs> which oh.
1: is so sad. How
0: about the same. Yeah, I just, yeah, <laughs> no, I just about the same thing. Um, maybe did, many, maybe he did say it, and I just forgot. I, did, no, I didn't, didn't mean say to
1: say it, and again, okay. just sometimes things slip the brain. Um, but yeah, so, so broadly, like to me, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount has to be has to be seen in that light of Jesus says, "I've come to bring the kingdom," um, and then of course the question might be, like, "Well, what does that mean?" Um, and yeah. that seems like a pretty... Which you asked the question,
0: and maybe I'll even get a show of hands. I won't put you on camera, so you can... It's a safe place with all of your friends here. Mm-hmm. But had anyone... When, when Alex made it... Well, first of all, who was here on Sunday? Okay, we got quite a few. Uh, a few people. A few nervous faces? All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, no judgment here. Well, you're just going to be... I'm putting them on camera. Oh, Should I put them on... No, I'm just showing you. Um... <laughs> Had anyone heard the idea, He Alex asked the question, what is the gospel? Hmm. And he said, yeah, you'd heard that idea, the idea of the gospel being the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So um had any, you'd heard that concept I think before? Was,
1: yeah, I, I think it's not, yeah. it's certainly not a new idea.
0: Definitely not, yeah. but it was new to me four or five years ago uh-huh. when I heard it that framed that way. Yeah. So. Why is that significant more than just, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, therefore I need a savior to come die on behalf of my sins mm. so that I can go to heaven when I die? Why is it important?
1: Well, so, so that that does, I mean, our, our wiring is always to, to kind of push everything kind of individualistic. Um, like, we really wrestle with that. Like, like even Like, even just, like, societally, like, my goal is, like, to, to pay as little tax as possible. Now, I'm not saying taxation is good. Like, we don't want to go down taxation without representation, conversations or anything. But, but, <laughs> but like, my general premise is I want to keep as much for me. And, and, again, like, if you think that the government is doing the wrong thing with it, I, I totally get the argument. But automatically my mind goes to individual all the time. So I tend to do that with the gospel as well. Um, I tend to go to, like, well, Jesus did something for me. And, and that's wonderfully true. Um, like, it is a part of the gospel, certainly. But it's just, to me, it's become almost like this, this oh, it's the only thing. And it tends to mean that we talk a lot about whether people prayed a specific prayer or made a specific response. Unfortunately, like for us, the New Testament doesn't really talk very much about those things. Um, It does at times, but we've set some things in place that that don't seem to be there originally. And and especially
0: if if you just use the teaching of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like you go, like you spill into Paul's writings and you get a lot more uh, explicit descriptions of some of those things. But the teachings of Jesus really center Uh super heavily on the kingdom. But
1: but even when you get to Paul, like, so he'll say things like uh, in Romans chapter 10, he says, um, if you declare with your mouth. If you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Yeah. And now what we did is we saw that and we said, that's what you do to be saved. When Paul wrote it, the probability is, is he was saying, that's what you declared and that was enough to save you. So, so do you see the twist there? Like, like,
0: no, sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, so,
1: so this had been a thing that had happened in terms of as people followed Jesus, they believed because they were told this is about belief. Okay, uh, and again, yeah. I, I, and, and this gets to that question a little bit. Even then, our definition of belief, like we're, we're somehow, us Westerners, I think we're the only culture in the world that could turn belief into work. Like, you know, you've got to try and believe something. Like, no one else does that.
0: Yeah, Um, Saved by faith and believing really hard.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, faith, this thing that you did. Um, Whereas faith is such, faith and trust are such great synonyms, really. It's like this, you know, it's not about me doing anything, it's about you. It's this resting posture, this surrender posture. Um, So, so like, we, we tend to make things works even when we don't call them works. Um, and 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 so what you saw with the early church is lots of people who came to believe in Jesus, and part of their group statement was Jesus is Lord, and Caesar isn't Lord. Um, and, and so when Paul says, if you believed in your heart, if you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and 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 declare, um, sorry, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and uh, declaring your with your mouth that He is Lord. He was really saying, you've done this, and that's enough. He well, wasn't saying, when you want people to join your group, go and get them to do these things.
0: Well, and even the title of Lord is basically saying, yeah, Jesus is king. Uh-huh. He's king over everything. Yeah. Yeah. So even there is a kingdom. So, sort so of, the, the struggle,
1: know. and we kind of got to this maybe at the end of the sermon, that the struggle with that premise is it means that you spend a lot of energy wanting people to pray a specific prayer. Um, and that's fine, actually. I did that, and I encourage other people to do that. but if that's your only thing, then when people are a long, long way away from faith, you really you really have nothing to celebrate until the moment they they, they pray that prayer. Ah,
0: Whereas interesting. there's there's
1: some like that's where we kind of were talking about the center set thing there's there's sometimes this huge journey for people to make before they get there. Uh, and so that's why, and you, you probably know this from
0: your so mission. So for marker. those who weren't here, could you yeah, describe yeah. the center set yeah. versus the, the boundary? boundary marker. Yeah, actually, I might be able to pull it up. So if you picture, don't yeah, pay him, you but don't pay attention the to the man behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> just carry on. I want to see so if, if you pull you it up. So if you
1: picture, like, a boundary marker would be, imagine there's, like, a circle. And there's this thing that you have to do to get inside the circle. And then you're in the in-club. Um, which again, like I'm not saying there's not some truth to that, but the limitation is like, what do you say and what do you celebrate with the people that are still outside the circle? The, the, the center set thing is that, that that Jesus is the gravitational pull and he's pulling all people towards him and, and you're really waiting to see what's happening. Yeah, this is going to be a really bad picture.
0: Look at that. Um, How high quality is this?
1: Yeah, it's, it's brilliant.
0: So this is the uh, the boundary set. Yeah. And so the idea is this, this circle is like there's some in... And, well, there's some, some and out. sometimes,
1: as I say, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it is people that have prayed a prayer, but sometimes it's a specific like lifestyle thing. It's a haircut length. It's a skirt length. It might it's be a, a haircut thing. <laughs> oh, I got saved and finally cut it off.
0: Um, <laughs> did, did you like? Did
1: you get it? Because I read the, the Bible. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> Paul is so mad at me, but Jesus is fine with it. So okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Carry so that, on. <laughs> that, that again, it's not that there's no truth to it. Um, they both have their weaknesses, but the second one that you have suggests that there's people in all sorts of places, and the question is, are you moving towards Jesus? Um,
0: so and you, you see, so you you hinted at There's some problems with both. Could you maybe? Yeah.
1: Pick What's it? the problem with that one? Um, so, so the problem with that one is that maybe you never actually get to the point of having challenging conversations with people uh, you never uh, actually get to the point of saying to someone something like what do you believe about jesus uh, G- jesus he's actually good at saying to people are you in on me or are you out on me like i mean he, it's just different for everybody it seems
0: yeah there is a repent step yeah. even in this text that you just brought up yeah. there is a but,
1: but repent just, but think about repent as a literal definition it means to turn around and head and right. move towards yep so so you, when you repent when you're a long way off it can look awfully different to when you're kind of close yeah for a while and and so my, my theory about us as, this is this is my kind of my my working theory about why we don't see lots of people that don't yet know jesus in church Uh, It's because we're really okay with people being untransformed in ways were untransformed. So if I'm full of pride, you don't see that. If I'm full of lust, you don't see that. So we're actually okay, I think, with people coming in that are untransformed in those ways. But most of us, like, dress fairly well or we have appropriately cut hair or we have stopped (laughs) having affairs or we have we've done lots of these things we're not okay with people coming in untransformed in those ways because we all look correct in those ways
0: yeah so if you
1: really want to be a group of people that welcome in unchurched people you have to be prepared for the fact that some people when they first turn towards jesus look very unlike him and very unlike us as well. Yeah. And he seems to be okay with that. And so if you remember, I mean, you ran a mission agency or you worked in a mission agency for a while. I didn't like, run it. <laughs> maybe, what, yeah. Maybe you would have been great at it. I don't know. <laughs> but, but what's one of the, the things that, that you're told? Like, in actual fact, if you're working in a Muslim nation um, and you have a person who's a secular Muslim who isn't really interested... And during the course of conversations, they they start attending a mosque regularly. That's actually a victory. I mean, it's a minor victory, but that's actually something to get excited about. Because their, huh. their minds have started to turn to religious matters more often. They're, they've moved away yeah. from just, it's just me trying to make money, trying to live, all those aspects. And they're asking questions. So all these mission agencies will say, yeah, that's a good thing. Like so for us we're like, No no they, they picked the wrong one
0: depends on the agency, but yes.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking, sure yeah, I'm and, tracking. and and generalizing is always a danger, right? But 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 for the most part the, there's an excitement there to you've awoken to something more spiritual. Yeah. And now that's so that's a step towards Jesus. Is it the step? No. And again this is the weakness of the the, the, the different the diagram, picture. Yeah. But it is it is a movement towards something outside of you. Yeah, and and it's much easier to um, to move someone from there to following Jesus than no interest. So, like, who's one of the missionaries we get to support? Oh yeah, Uh, he would say like that that their church has um, grown at a fairly slow pace uh, because they're working mainly with secular Muslims, and Uh whereas you go to these churches that work with refugee religious Muslims and. They grow like crazy.
0: Interesting. Because they mm. yeah. So So there's a little bit of a summary of where we've been uh, kicking off into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it wasn't a very good summary, but we got that. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's great. So we're going to be living in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. Mm. So our plan is currently to go till Advent. Yeah. Push pause, and mm-hmm. then we'll do season two in the spring. Um, That's season a
1: terrifying plan.
0: Season two. Yeah, you know, hopefully some some shows season two significantly drops off i'm confident that jesus will be able to hold up for season two on the yeah, sermon on the mount right yeah. yeah and some shows where does, get where does way season better two start in the,
1: season one what was that some shows some shows get better after season one
0: yeah when they get more funding and stuff yeah exactly
1: that's what we're hoping for is
0: that what jesus when he got more funding so we're, we're your,
1: actually right now cutting off uh, at chapter, the end of chapter six and then we'll do chapter seven in the new year. Yeah. That's the current plan.
0: Awesome. Alright, well I want to proceed into some questions because yeah. that that's sort of what we promised for this. So, um, A couple things. Hey, if you are, they might be closing up the coffee shop momentarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you could peek your head in there if you still want something um, before they close. But uh, I told them they could take off if there wasn't a, a constant flow of folks or whatever. So Uh, Feel free. How how are we doing in there? You're not. You aren't closing up. Okay. Sounds good. So if is there can people still get drinks or anything? Uh, Oh. All right. Sorry, I made an announcement. I apologize. Well, I was announcing that you're closing. So. (laughs) So if you've
1: closed, that's okay.
0: So our first question of the night was, can we still get cough? No. so uh i'm trying to decide whether these questions came in specifically for the live show or whether we should move the did anyone submit questions digitally already for tonight who's here in person all right well i'm going to play favorites and say if you showed up in person we're going to start with your questions and then we'll see if we can get to these later because we can always commandeer next week's show to get to these questions we uh, can, digit, but then digit, if we did
1: these questions, then it would give people a chance to think of questions if they didn't come with
0: questions. Sounds good. But they might have come with questions. You're the boss.
1: But, uh, not in this show. You, you make everything happen. I'm just here for the fun.
0: Totally. <laughs> All right. So in that case, we'll start with this question. If you have questions, maybe uh, take a moment to jot them down or whatever. So try and word them uh, semi-efficiently or however that works. Um and we will do our best to address those questions. Um, the first question comes in. Oh. It says, I love how you two address the issue about how we have uh, stuff we ignore and stuff we make an issue about. Um, is there something the early church decided to make an issue when Alex was considering? Uh, considered for head pastor was he asked do you eat blood sausage that's such
1: a great question
0: that is a good question were you asked
1: yes i was really no
0: (laughs) okay also i just uh i just had devotions in first corinthians 7 do we let gay men serve in our church alex again talked about the couple uh living together yeah. This was from maybe several months ago almost. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't remember the context of the conversation. So actually
1: the, the context was um, it was a friend of mine's church that he pastored, and, and he started to see a lot of people who didn't know Jesus start to come to know Jesus. So the question then becomes, again, it goes beautifully back to the pictures that we talked about. Like, what's the point? Someone gets to serve in a community. Um, is it the moment they walk through the doors? Or is it the moment that they make a profession of faith? Is it the moment they get baptized? Is it the moment they stop eating blood sausage? Like, it's like all of those different questions. Um, yeah. And so figuring out how you how you decide that is a complicated thing.
0: Yeah, so one of the ways I've had this conversation with some folks is... Uh and I can't speak on behalf of the church like directly without like elder approval or whatever, but, uh, and I'm not on the elder board, so I'll just say something and he can correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I think it's a pastorally. I, I like to say that we're a church that affirms obedience to the way of Jesus. Mm. So as, as, as I'm interacting with someone and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about like stepping into, um, uh the way of jesus in this area of of my life and i'm like yes Mm -hmm. um and so and that's a, a way of engaging the conversation and continually um moving them closer towards that way of jesus now there will potentially come a day we're good thank you so much appreciate you making coffee for us thank you um so uh there's going to be a day where they may encounter moments where the way of Jesus in, in teaching context in, Hey, I want to serve whatever it may be. There might be an inciting incident in their life where they encounter a, a challenge and that's an opportunity for them to confess that Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. and believe in their heart mm-hmm. and and step into the, that new way of obedience. And so, and that line comes in different places for each one of us. And it still happens for me. So there's this, but it's constantly moving people towards obeying the way of Jesus. What do you think? How's yeah. that for an answer? Do, do I get a job still?
1: Yeah, I, I, and I think it's a good answer. And serving can sometimes be the inciting incident. So figuring out, like, what, yes. what is the thing? Um, you know, I, I had someone in my life, that, a person I'm close to, they came out as gay, and they used to work in the, the kids' nursery in the church. Uh, and they were told, well, you can't do that anymore. And again, we, we in the room and listening might have a whole bunch of views on those things, like, is that good or is that bad? Like, the church's argument was that statistically, if, you, if that's your sexual like, identity, you're more likely to be an abuser, which I'm not sure is even accurate. Um, but that was their response. And, and so you can see, like, well, there's a bunch of fear there yeah. um, that probably nudged that decision. There may even be some scriptural references that you'll pull up in that situation though the reality is it was pretty horrific for his faith journey um, and so that probably wasn't uh, hey my family showed up come on, on in screen i was expecting to read a text saying we're not coming which would have been so on brand for our podcast <laughs> even, even my family said no to this
0: that's awesome <laughs> uh,
1: but they are here so so that like yeah that 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 I think is is like challenging. How do you find space for people to serve, regardless of where they are? So, so throwing out a, a like a, an inter- intellectual sounding name, Frederick Schleimacher had this theory around church, which was that there was this like circle. Again, go back to circle. That was the church, but it was supposed to have another circle around it, which was those people that were trying to figure out if they believed this stuff. Hmm. But that circle was in itself an identity that allowed people to feel like, oh no, I'm part of this thing. And in his mind, that first circle should always be expanding to take over that second circle. And it should be building another circle around that. That's how he saw church growth, was yeah. that you had to have a place to say, no, I can get involved with these people, even if I'm not sure if I believe what these people believe. Because again, most of us that didn't grow up in a in a church home know that there were those moments so so then the the, the difficult question becomes like, well, what can they be involved in and, and what's yeah. okay
0: yeah and and so maybe like excuse me i'm shouldn't be drinking fizzy drinks uh, normally, I can burp and <laughs> since you guys are on the audio, I just step away from the mic and you can, can't see it but um so another another way to to think about this is it's almost. Uh, a case by case situation yeah. because there's relationship involved, there's dialogue involved, there's where they are in the journey, uh, what are their thoughts about their own situation in this context, and on and on yeah, and, 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 and on.
1: And so it's not like there's a Christian way to pour coffee. Um, in actual fact, if there was, it would be badly, right? I mean, it probably wouldn't be very good. Like, very rarely do churches do have good th- coffee.
0: Christians might be really good at coffee. Yeah,
1: but not, not, not exclusively, anyway. Yeah. I, right, I don't know. Um, so there's lots of things. It's now, the now, one
0: sacred sin. Like it's, like, it's the one thing you're allowed to be addicted to as a Christian, thing, yeah, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. All right.
1: Um, but but would, would we have someone who is still figuring out faith serve on the elder board? Well, probably not. That probably wouldn't be a healthy thing. So there's some things that are obvious. Yeah. And then uh, as you kind of like pull in more and more opportunities, it 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 becomes a little grayer and a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, But I was not asked about blood sausage. You were not asked. I think like it is interesting like what what we pick as things. So the church I grew up in, if I'd stood outside smoking a cigar, uh, I would never have preached again in that church. Like absolutely not. Um, but there's nothing scripturally that says that that's a bad thing at all. Yeah. Uh, which was always interesting to me because I could have walked in like enveloped in pride every single week and nobody cared.
0: Yeah. Or like, we don't usually ask, do you, you know, before baptism, do you, Hey, if you're being baptized, do you struggle with materialism? Cause yeah. we don't baptize materialistic people in this church. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, there's a tricky yeah, it's a sort of a tricky dialogue to say we're gonna not just make carte blanche decisions of on every single issue um and there are issues that, that there'd be like lines with but it it would be uh one of those things where a relationship and dialogue is incorporated mm-hmm. uh yeah, but we yeah. should move on to the next question because I want to make sure we get enough time for our live yeah. audience. Um, the next question that came in was uh, when thinking about the gospel, do you believe people are saved solely by professing their faith in God mm. or also by good works alone? Alex versus the book of James. Go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and we, I, like, I mean, I tried to touch on that a little bit. So, again, like, so long as you, you haven't just turned faith into a work, I'm good with that expression. Like, like, But, again, I definitely have heard churches express it in that way.
0: Like, believing believe hard enough more, was. Believe more,
1: yeah, yeah. Believe more stuff. Like, make sure you, you're not believing enough or you don't have enough faith. Like, so, so even, like, following through Paul's argument in Ephesians, he says you've been saved by grace through faith. And even that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Like, the implication is even the faith is, is potentially a gift that you don't get to participate in. It's, it's not, so it's not like just simply trying to believe stuff. Like, faith is directly a synonym of trust. So really, the question is, like, when I think about my own eternal destiny, who's making that happen? Is my trust simply that that's a work that Jesus is doing for me? Or is that me at all? And and I, I definitely have heard people phrase it in a way that says, "Yeah, I did the faith thing." So I, that's become the work at that point in my mind.
0: Huh. So yeah. So the the but I know that you're not like a strong Calvinist sort of guy. No, I'm not. No. So then, like the faith step itself isn't. Um, that's not the an act of the will. None the. You,
1: yeah, I mean, at that point, like, it's maybe like we're splitting a lot of hairs. Again, it's trust. Like, it's a decision to trust. It's a decision to leave it alone. I guess a decision to say, I'm not gonna, tr- I'm not gonna try and fix myself. I'm not, yeah. to tr- I'm, gonna, I'm okay. not gonna try and make this. I'm not gonna try and make my own spiritual journey work. I guess I don't know how to phrase that well. But yeah. I, I think almost like we're not extreme enough on this, if anything.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, going back to the text you referenced before, it's saying like, Jesus, you're right about this and I'm wrong. Yeah. It's that's the step of faith. Yeah. It's like the, the you're Lord. T- I mean, really, Jesus, you've done this. Yeah.
1: Like, like, and I think that couldn't do it. That's where I got. That's, stuck. That is and I the think faith. Lots of people get stuck is like you have questions around whether you believe enough. And so you try really hard to believe properly. And I've heard people even express it like that. I'm not sure I believe enough. Um, Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be Jesus' purpose at all. Like, even when you think about when Jesus says to his first followers, um, or or, or the scriptures will say something like, they believed in him. Well, at that point, what did they believe in? At that point, it's not his death and resurrection. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. It's like they they believed in who he was and what he was doing. They got involved in what he was doing.
0: Um, So what's the role of works then? So, what's the relationship between faith and works?
1: I think I think the works have to come afterwards, right? I think I think they they seem like they they're a byproduct, if anything.
0: Yeah. Um, and James describes faith like faith without works is dead, right?
1: Yeah, and that's why people sometimes don't like James. Like Martin Luther wanted to rip James out of the Bible, <laughs> um, but there's parts of James that I love as well. At the same time,
0: what parts don't you love? Oh
1: i can't say i can't speak to that now
0: no No. (laughs) not on this show at least
1: yeah not with an audience Uh, hopefully that's a sufficient
0: answer for our two digitally submitted questions and that gave you enough time to uh muster your questions so we're gonna try a couple different ways i'm gonna listen to our our stream and then uh see how if we can hear you ask your question but for now we're just gonna have you sort of like maybe raise your hand and shout out a question and then we'll do our best to answer it but be because it's getting darker, I'm going to turn our brightness up a little bit. Okay. We have one here? Go for it. Directly out what you just said, the people who believe the works have to come after the faith. What about the people who believe that the love not like a real part? believe that that's how they make the world a better place. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and I think this, like, I mean, this goes back again to like where some of the struggles with both of those images are, like the the boundary marker. Can you and could uh, repeat the question? So yeah, us. the the question was like, what happens when you see the works before someone's made any kind of profession of faith? They've started to like love their neighbour. They've started to get involved in things that God is doing, perhaps. Mm. Like, the there is definitely this line that like if there's a line i don't think we can always see when people have crossed a line or not um like that that like we have our own ideas about what that might look like i think but i'm not sure it's all clear i'm not sure it's always obvious and again we've we've like i grew up in a church that had made its line did you walk out the front in the middle of a service and did you pray a specific prayer and did you fill in a piece of paper and receive the free books that we give out and did you read them like, there were almost all these things to jump through, and that was when we knew people had crossed the line. But even if there is a line, I'm not sure we always know exactly when people have crossed it uh, or what we're looking for. And so...
0: So I think I might have referenced this briefly in a previous episode, but um, this, that question was probably the source of one of my greatest crises of faith. Um, when I, I basically said, I don't know if the gospel that I believe is sufficient for the world that I live in. Because Mm. some of my closest friends, neighbors, and stuff, they don't need the gospel that I was believing. Uh, I I had this assumption, like, if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not a Christian, your life's got to be falling apart, right? And I'm looking around and, like, I'm seeing people who are, genuinely trying to cultivate and nurture healthy marriages love their kids and train them up in in moral ways many of which if not almost all of which those moral ways are very judeo-christian in nature and on and on and on i'm like so where's the crisis in their life that i can speak the gospel into and i just didn't and so i was like well if the gospel doesn't speak to them then where what do i do and so I remember wrestling this with this quite a bit, and I, I wrote this. This might be mumbo-jumbo because I was actually speaking to Siri as I was driving <laughs> one day. So uh, this is my attempt at an answer okay. or a part of an answer, but it's, uh, it might be gibberish, and then Alex can fix it later. Uh, I asked the question to myself, why might a non-Christian end up living a better life than a Christian? This was the crisis for me. Is it because often Christians exert more energy in trying to convince themselves to believe things that they doubt than in practicing activities that actually result in transformation? Mm. So they spend all—like we as Christians sometimes just try and convince ourselves what's the right set of beliefs and— then if i'm believing wrong i need to rethink that thing and like we spend a lot of mental energy as christians trying to make sure that our belief systems are right because we think it's salvific Mm -hmm. right we think that if we get the right set of beliefs in place then we're good right so we exert all this rather than practicing activities that result in genuine transformation a non-christian who stumbles upon an activity that truly functions towards a better way of living has no qualms with the theological value of that belief. They try things out for life, and if it works as a better way of being human, they don't have to run it through their theological filter first. Mm. Being nice to other humans is a better way of living, and they say, this working for me, I'm going to continue to be nice, and I don't have to ask, or I don't have to consult a systematic theology textbook to determine whether that's in alignment with the teachings Mm. of Jesus. They simply... Try the living the best life possible, experiment with activities that function to that end. Uh, does Christianity, Christianity, therefore, not have any value to offer the human condition in living a quality of life, a quality life? And this was my crisis. By no means, I think we often get distracted by theology rather than trying to obey the way of Jesus. I feel like Jesus offers us an expedited path to the best way of being human, and we're so worried about our theology, we forget to actually just try some of the things he suggests. Mm. So that was my. So he's like, now the the next question maybe is that okay? What if they get all the things right without Jesus? Are they saved? And that's not the question that was asked. So I'm not going to go there yet, um, <laughs> unless it's the next question.
1: So I, I do think. Yeah, I mean, I think I love. I, I sometimes think we, you feel like a lot of fear within church circles um, around. Almost any, like if you've got a very strong six-day creation model, there's a lot of fear that that suggests, well, I'm really worried that something might come up. Like, I'm looking for a magic bullet that's going to kill any kind of idea of evolution, because it almost, you know those Jenga towers you build? Like, it almost feels like you might pull a brick that's starting to make the whole structure wobble, and that's a pretty terrifying experience. Um, so, so yeah. y- the fear can almost be like, oh my goodness, like what if something comes up that makes me question what I believe, like everything's going to fall down. Whereas, whereas, as you said, there's a whole bunch of people that are like, yeah, I'm willing to try it. And if it doesn't work, I don't feel like I've lost anything. Um, so, so I do think there is a whole wrestling there. That's just, that's just fascinating.
0: Did that answer your question ish was- or at least wrestling? wrestled (laughs) with the question we said question and responses yeah yeah
1: yeah, totally yeah yeah.
0: whether it's an answer or not but uh other questions or do you do you want to say anything else on that oh i love it. another question other questions That's a great great...
1: question, Carter. Oh man, if you have an answer to that, you can come sit in Aaron's chair. Uh, That's absolutely. Yeah, and and that that man, I think if you can solve that, then you've got a book that you can write, Um, because. Even like I, I was lucky enough for a long time to be part of a church that, that I would say genuinely saw people healed um, of all sorts of things. But we always said like we just didn't know why some people did and some people didn't. And it wasn't that the people that were were better people or even that they were worse people. Any kind of pattern would have been helpful. Um, but, but you see that even with Jesus ministry like I always think I'm always intrigued by how the, the, the scriptures seem to like highlight specific things and then they just almost skirt over other things. So there's a story in John chapter 5 Jesus walks to the pool of Siloam and it seems like he has a plan all along. He goes and finds one guy that's been there for, I think, is it 36 years, 32 years? Something yeah, like that. born from
0: child, yeah, uh, or and, blind from child. Uh,
1: and he, this well, this guy's lame, right? And, and oh. Jesus heals him. And yet, just historically, we know there were probably hundreds of people at the pool of Bethesda. So that that means that when we read scripture, we have to read it through the lens of Jesus walked past hundreds of sick people.
0: And yeah, maybe stepped over a guy and that guy yeah. didn't get it, yeah.
1: Um, and healed one person. And so, like, our framework is like, well, Jesus, why didn't you just heal all of them? Now, even this is, like, I think a hard thing to for us to embrace because Jesus seems to heal um, with a message in mind. It, it isn't always just so that the person isn't sick anymore. Because in actual fact... As Aaron pointed out just in the last question, there's loads of ways that we learn in hard things in life, we uh, actually are transformed through those different elements, and that there's an inevitable decline in the body that says as you get older it's going to get sicker and life is going to be physically harder. Um, Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, still had to die again of something. Um, So so I, I think there's this, like element that, that really when we're asking that question we're asking why can't we all just be permanently healthy and live forever um, yeah. and in an actual fact the reality of humanity is, is based on that trust thing every single one of us has to be led by Jesus down a road we don't want to go down um, and, and walk through into eternity the other side Uh, And I don't know why that is, but it seems to be the thing. And I don't know why it is that some people's road to that seem harder than others. Um, Why some people struggle so much physically, some people struggle so much mentally, and some people struggle so much spiritually, and some people struggle so much relationally. But everyone seems to have those different struggles. And it seems Jesus' answer has never been, even when he was present on earth, just uh to click a finger and say it's all it's all done Um, and i
0: think that maybe the book of psalms is sort of this invitation to have that wrestling with god like over and over again the psalmist writes like what the heck's going on here sometimes the righteous are like doing or uh horribly and the unrighteous are thriving and it's almost like the psalmist is saying hey by the way if you're gonna have a hissy fit about how things are going in the world the safest place to have that is in the presence of God and that's part of the prayer journey is to have this relationship. like he's almost more interested in some of the outcomes going on in your soul in the relationship that you have with him than in just uh, snapping the finger and yeah like that scenario is fascinating like you have he raises Lazarus from the dead and then John the Baptist is like hey uh, hey I'm about to get my head cut off and Jesus <laughs> is like good luck with that yeah yeah oh, may just, God bless you on your day. something just pop that we lose Oh, okay, the light just went off. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right, we're still so,
1: good. So I think my theological framework wouldn't be that God causes sickness. Yes. Um, but, but I am always intrigued by, you know, Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians, I think it is, uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, maybe it's 2 Corinthians, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Um, this thing that he asked God three times to take away. And every time God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And so I'm always intrigued by, in amongst this room of people and people listening online, we could probably all think of something and say, oh, that's my thorn in the flesh. And it might not be physical, but it's probably something. Like something that reminds you of your need for God. In actual fact, mine, bizarrely, is my job. Um, Like, not that I've said to God, take it away, but it's, it's the thing that pokes at me that reminds me you desperately need me because it's yeah. it's it's hard enough and big enough and weird enough that I'm like I just I don't yeah I can't do that um so it's this like thing that, that, that God uses regularly to say oh you really really need me um
0: and I we what well, we do know so since we can't answer it because we're not God which would be awesome if we could well that's that's our responses. God, why? Um, and maybe that's the right prayer. But what we do know is there are multiple invitations in different ways in scripture for people to be fervent in prayer, like the effectual fervent prayer of mm-hmm. a righteous man availeth much. But, um, the, it sounded good. Yeah. Coming
1: in your American accent.
0: Yeah. Or or like the the widow who like the illustration of uh-huh. like the widow who just keep on yeah. hounding the king until she gets what she wants. Like there's this invitation to constantly engage Um and we don't know why sometimes it doesn't happen. So.
1: And I, I would also say for you, Carter, as you continue growing in faith, I don't think that it's, this, Like this is, this is going to sound like a reductionist argument, but there are people I know that have spent lots of time getting to know God well, and when they pray, things that are unusual happen. Um, and so I do believe anyone can be heard by God and mm-hmm. anyone, God answers any prayer. But I, there's just people in my life that I know that I'm like, oh my goodness, when you pray, something changes. Yeah. And so my like Jim's mom, Jim's like mom
0: was that yeah, way. Keep June getting closer Weger's to God. Was because, that way.
1: Yeah, that's a great thing.
0: I, th- I have a theory about that. I think it's the person who starts to understand the, the culture of the kingdom so intimately, the heart of God so intimately, they kind of just know what he's up to anyway, and they ask for that. And he's just like, like He. I, I don't know, sometimes just people get to know his heart so well, they just are kind of already in step with him. Well, right after that God.
1: pool of Bethesda, sorry, not Siloam, um, that pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, it says that, um, Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. So that means the, the, yeah. the hard implication yeah. is that in walking across or past hundreds of people, doing what he saw his father doing.
0: Huh. Um, Interesting. Other questions? We'll start here. And the other Yeah, could you repeat the question? Is, repeat is it a question? question? All right. So if you
1: repeat it, I'll answer it. Or if I or respond. So
0: the the question was uh, the the we know from the scriptures that um, God doesn't will that anyone would, be, would perish, mm-hmm. and then combine that with the passage of like uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, what if? Even as someone like approaches hell, they eventually they have to bow. Every knee will bow. Does that mean that hell eventually is empty? Because Mm. this, theologically, this is a term to potentially universalism. Like eventually, God it gets everyone um, everyone's heart in the end.
1: Yeah, and so so I mean that wouldn't be my view completely. Uh, So so I think bow to me does have a submission element to it. And, and again, like, this is where we get into some of the mysteries of what eternity looks like, that sometimes you're just like, I don't know. I, 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 the, the most helpful thing for me in that respect was C.S. Lewis phrasing. Uh, he, he said, we, we do know from Scripture, and I'm paraphrasing here, that God longs for every person to know him. There is that longing expressed um, and draws people towards himself. And constantly saying to people, I long for you to say to me, your will be done. Like that's the surrender thing that we were talking about earlier. Hmm. His suggestion was, and I think this feels like a a scriptural, like uh, this feels like it lines up with other parts parts of scripture. Was that there's a point where God says, okay, if you won't say to me, your will be done. I'm going to say to you, okay, your will be done. Now, does that mean that they don't have to bow? Not necessarily, but it does mean that ultimately God won't force anyone to have him. Uh, and so that ultimately you can get to a point of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not interested. And, and he will say okay to that. Um, and that feels like to me, like it lines up with all of the parts of scripture that, that Jesus seems to take like our eternal destiny very seriously, he doesn't seem to be like, mm. like, like. he doesn't seem to suggest that's a thing that nobody has to worry about in the end. He does seem to say it matters. And so I, I, I want to stick with what he says on that. But he also says that God's longing is for everybody to come towards him. And so that, that way of phrasing it seems to me to land well and honor both of those parts of Scripture. That there's this longing and eventually like a a, a point where God says, okay, then you get your way. Do you have to bow? Yes, but, but am I going to make you choose me? No. Um, and that's, that's almost the heartbreak of the humiliation, I think, to me. Like, God is constantly calling people, and, and for lots of people, the answer is, no, I'm not interested. And then, most heartbreakingly, some of the time for that answer, some of the reason for that answer is the way the church has presented Jesus. Yeah I, th- I yeah, think potentially, that, yeah, yeah I I think
0: that the the statement was maybe it's a heart issue where you can bow but you're not meaning it from the heart or something like that. yeah
1: yeah I mean I think yeah there there is yeah, I'm gonna just take God as his word every knee will bow like I'm okay with that um
0: and i th- there's almost like at that point it's it's like just like the demons know that Jesus is who he said he was mm-hmm. the demons have great theology. And they shudder, and yet they still reject the authority of God, mm. so in one sense they acknowledge his and they acknowledge it, but they still don't embrace his so now, with that said, theologians throughout history, evangelical theologians, mm-hmm. and across the rest of Christendom or Christianity Christendom not christendom mm-hmm. um have actually fallen in multiple camps on the issue of the eternal state there's yeah. there's um Uh, like an annihilation sort of theory there's universalism which basically is what you were kind of describing a little bit um, to some extent where eventually God's love wins all even post death potentially Mm -hmm. and then there's eternal conscious torment and then various different hybrids of all of those things Um, and there the theologians in all of those different camps are still within the umbrella of Christianity. It's not one of the parts of the creed. So it's not part of the dogma of of Mm -hmm. the global church that says you have to get this particular one all the same across all of Christianity in order to be considered a Christian. So this is one of those ones that there's some pretty heavy and heated debates about, but- I
1: I would love to be a universalist. Like yeah. I, I, would lo- I would, I would, I like. I honestly don't understand why every Christian wouldn't say like, I wish I could be a universalist. There's like, a, like, there's like some,
0: some old dead German theologian that had some quote similar to that. Like yeah. everyone should wish and hope for. I think it's even like something that, like that. I
1: would be amazing. Like I would, I would love to get that. Um, like, I, and I, I've definitely met Christians whose, whose, like, argument against universalism seems to sound something like this to me. Like, well, I've spent all my life not doing stuff I want to do, so I'm mad at people that could kind of, like, <laughs> loophole in. I'm like, I just don't understand that. Like, I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you, you're so mad about it that you hope people suffer forever, consciously. These, yeah. and, like, I'm like, mm. That sounds like you have some heart issues that you need to work through a little bit. Um, yeah, I would. I, if I could be a universalist, I'd be so happy. Um, but, but I, I personally can't quite get there yeah. spiritually.
0: Um, and and my, myself either. Um, yeah. So.
1: So. so uh, but it's not one of those things that if someone believes, I'm like, well, I can't be friends with you anymore.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I just was. We were just studying in my seminary class today. Karl Barth. Uh, Some people debate, was he a universalist? And he's one of the more influential theologians of the the, uh, last several Mm -hmm. hundred years. Um, uh, And he doesn't state it that clearly, but uh, a lot of people who have evaluated his theology basically described it. My professor described it this way. Uh, he, He warns against sin pretty heavily in his writing, but it's like a ship that's sinking he's like the ship is sinking you need to get saved you need to get saved and then when it's said and done like it's sinking in shallow water yeah <laughs> and so like his theological framework is that uh is such that yeah if you start to follow the implications of what he's saying he might be a universalist but hey um there's debates in the theology theology world about this stuff mm. and that's one of the more influential guys in our
1: fun question our faith there. Thanks, Jen.
0: we had a couple others. Yeah. the prophecies or the land of Zebul and the land of Apatab, the wave, the sea, beyond the Jordan, the galley of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has gone.
1: Mm-hmm. Jesus gave his first disciple, like, Simon Peter, who, the rock of the church, was first taken the edges of what mm-hmm. the Jewish faith and everything was with as perfect as you probably could. He had the strongest hitters. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet those are the ones that have made a big impact. And I see that kind of like still today, like a lot of hostility to people on the edge of the faith, or those hostility mm-hmm. are, but then some of those people want the faith, they are making some of these splashes. hmm choose
1: yeah yeah. The away, right? no. this show you. yeah yeah so I think like if I could boil your question down it's like it seems that God quite, quite often chooses outsiders and makes them or calls them to do his work for him um, and, and I think that that's that's fascinatingly true it's to me it's even a bit more intriguing than that though like, and I loved your expression of Peter as one of the greatest hitters. Like, it's, uh, is that a baseball expression? I don't know, but it feels like it, you know. But, but, but,
0: <laughs>
1: like, like, Peter. No, it's paddleball. Paddle, uh, pickleball, or pickleball paddle ball, ball? definitely. Pickleball. Paddle I've just invented a new sport. <laughs> um, so he does call Peter, who does seem kind of fringe, um, who is a fisherman, who's, you know, one of the not chosen. And then he also calls Paul. Um, who is about as insider as it gets. And the two of them are these two significant pieces of the New Testament church. Um, Mm -hmm. It it feels to me like God is so willing to call whoever he wants to call, that it's like the moment that you think you have it figured out, the moment that you can start to say, oh yeah, he doesn't really call insiders, he calls outsiders to do what he (laughs) needs doing. He's like, yeah, but I also call insiders as well. And then the moment you think you've got that figured out, it's, it just seems like, yeah, I, I've, I'll call who I will call. Um, I'll anoint who I want, uh, and I'll have speak my words. You know, and you see that with, with Jesus coming into Jerusalem and everyone crying out. And he's like, yeah, if they didn't, even the rocks. Um, there's almost just, it's, it's, so it's bigger than he doesn't use insiders and he uses outsiders. It's just he uses the most weird and wonderful bunch of people.
0: And I- um I think there, there there might be a slight common thread with some of that, that you can trace. So, if you one, if you want to do a deep dive on this one, I highly recommend the podcast series. Here I am pushing a different podcast. Don't listen to our podcast. Listen to this other podcast. <laughs> if you
1: only listen to one podcast, listen to this one that you're about to mention. Yes,
0: <laughs> uh, which we've tried to get Tim Mackey on our show multiple Not times. Yes,
1: ever because yeah. we've never actually contacted. No, we Jesus. haven't. We've just you, you would have to randomly be
0: listening to this very obscure, <laughs> nonsensical Red Couch theology podcast. Anyway, so um, the Bible Project podcast, the series is titled "The Law of the Firstborn," and it's like a nine or ten episode podcast series where Tim Mackey traces what is it, uh, what's the connection with the law of the firstborn? Does God choose the firstborn? Because there was like even Jewish laws that indicate that the firstborn should get certain kinds of rights. Is that a law that God promotes or fights against? Because constantly he's choosing the secondborn. But then sometimes he chooses the firstborn, but sometimes the secondborn. And sometimes it's the firstborn uh, that's... Yeah, anyway, it gets really sloppy, but well, he like goes... jo-
1: Joseph is like one of those fascinating examples because Joseph's a firstborn, but he's the firstborn of the, the second sister. Uh,
0: yes. Which is just like, wait... And so you start to try and like, if you're trying to nail down the rules, maybe some of the common thread is God loves to choose those who surrender to him. Now, sometimes he even breaks that rule. Like with Jacob, Jacob's like this backbiting, whatever. And God's like, I pick you anyway, you're second born and you don't seem to get it. And I'm going to keep on working with you until eventually he sort of has that wrestling match with Jacob and Puts his hip out and he finally surrenders, but after a lifetime of basically running the other direction, so it's a fascinating series. But it goes super deep on that exact question. Uh, and Tim Mackey's way smarter than both of us. Yes. So I recommend that. Done it.
1: Done that, Tim Mackey, and his smartness. Hey Tim, if you would like to join our show,
0: <laughs> we'll I will see. give you hey, my ask seat. Questions
1: with me too. <laughs> you can
0: have this seat. Actually, you can have both of our seats and John too, for that matter. It's a way better podcast. <laughs> Mm. oh yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 super broken person chuck colson was richard nixon's henchman essentially right yeah yes somehow gets called into into the kingdom and starts doing all of these incredible things And, and and i think that's like i love those different background stories I remember Billy Graham, who was this incredible evangelist, the person that kind of led him to follow Jesus was a guy called Mordecai Ham, who was also an evangelist. Um, Mordecai Ham became a Christian through one Sunday school teacher who had prayed their entire life, Jesus, I'd love to just help one person come and follow Jesus, come and follow you. And that person was Mordecai Ham. So, like, you, you get to see the stories of people that do the spectacular things, but you miss the stories of the people that helped this random person come to follow Jesus, and they went and did the thing. And there must be so many of those. In actual fact, the beautiful thing is, like, those people could be all in amongst this room right now. Uh, yeah. That could be any one of us.
0: Mm. Great question. You had one in the back? Yep. Mm-hmm. So my question is: Is where do you think where do you think the line is between this idea that we're royalty? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, mm. wow, that's a great question. As,
1: yeah. So the, the question really is like, again, rephrasing a little, like how do pride and humility blend together? And well, when we're how called to you, be royalty, yeah, how do you how do you live into what God says you are, which is wonderful, while also remaining not proud? Um, and I, th- I, I, I think my family are leaving. I don't know what that tells me, um, but great to have you here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so i wonder whether some of that isn't a kind of maybe misdefinition of pride because i because i think we actually at times have bad definitions of pride and bad definitions of humility as well so so humility has come to mean a clever woman trying to believe she's stupid which is just not possible with any kind of
0: you honesty here. Yeah. Honesty. You can eat live, it's, yeah.
1: Tr- it's a handsome man trying to believe he's ugly, which, again, is, is not, like, it's a, it's an exercise in futility. Uh, and so we've almost, like, s- said, no, you, you're supposed to try and believe things that aren't true. You know, it's like me trying to believe that my hair isn't cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible, right? No, it's... <laughs> that, that that actually is, is probably huh. very doable. Um <laughs> but but that's... and I think same with pride, like it's 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 become like trying to not <laughs> dwell on things that are that are actually just part of who you are. Hmm. So so you can't have a king or queen try and pretend not to be a king or queen in order to avoid pride. Um, that, that's actually just denying who they are. So usually, to me, the line with pride is is, is starting to recognize who gave you that place. Um, so, so, again, to go back to hair as a silly example, there's no point in me being proud of my hair. I, I didn't do anything to make it that way. Like, my brother is starting to lose his hair a little bit. He's younger than I am. Which, again, is, is, is like a, a source of, like, and, you know, there's uh, some weird reaction to that internally. Like, <laughs> like, phew. Um, but I haven't done anything. It's, it's not me. I, I, I can't boast about the color of it. I can't boast about the nature of it. Because it was just given um, and so,
0: I mean, I'm kind of annoyed by it, the fact that you're older than me and yet you look significantly yeah, younger than and, me. Yeah, And that's fine. You have no I'm grade. okay with
1: you being annoyed with that. But carry but, on. But, uh, Sorry, yeah. you're trying
0: to ask a the theology I think, question. I think,
1: that, <laughs> I think our tendency has become, to, it has become to try and say like, no, no, that isn't a wonderful aspect to who we are. Rather than to mm. say it is a wonderful aspect and we only have it because God has been good to us. Um, so so I think living into that 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 royal that that kingdom of priests that royal priesthood um, and, and that role that God has given us is, is healthy if we can rely on and all of the things I get to do I only get to do because God has gifted me and has been good to me uh, which which is accurate
0: yeah so when when the when the Bible says like in Genesis that God made us in his image uh, yeah, the the theology term that shows up if you're looking this stuff up as imago dei image of God um, It so he made us in his image so we have this quality that's different about humanity than some of the rest of his creation right um, but it's like saying the moon is like I shine so bright mm. we are reflectors of the sun mm. and so it's like does that mean we say, I don't shine at all? No, like I'm actually yeah. sometimes reflecting really well, but it's not like all of the source of light, the source of that light is always elsewhere. Yeah. And that's, that's the analogy. proper place where there's like this relationship between who we are called to be as royalty, as image bearers, as cultivators of the earth or whatever that Genesis tells us that we are. Mm it's still just reflection. We're just a big mirror, sometimes a a more clear mirror, sometimes a very dirty mirror. But any quality of light that reflects off us isn't good. It's not us anyway.
1: Now, interestingly, I I think the, the, the other aspect of that is eventually it seems like there is some eternal conversation where God says, and you were faithful to your calling. Congratulations. Well done. Um, which is also a beautiful gift as well. Yeah, and then he
0: gives you a crown with, with all of, and then you're the things like, yeah, right. You, you throw the crown you back at him. It. It's like,
1: and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, th- I think to, to be to be proud of who you are. There's a healthy type of being proud, rather than a, a internal pride in like I did it.
0: Um, yeah, Paul even describes like what's my boasting in Thessalonians when he's talking to the Thessalonian church. He's like. I have this boasting in heaven Mm -hmm. and it's your faith. It's the fact that God counted me, uh, like it gave me the privilege of participating in advancing your, the Thessalonian church's faith. That's that's what I'm going to boast about, which is kind of an interesting thing, even though, like, God called Paul, God gave him the words to say, God cultivated his background and capable and all this stuff, but he's still going to be able to look at the worship service in all of eternity and look at the people's side. I participated in their faith. I participate, but it's so always like this outside focused. God-glorifying... So I
1: think there's a real... Thinking about how you deal with some of those questions, I think... And not everyone gets space to do this, but for part of this week, I'm going on a silent retreat. And part of the reason I'm doing it, I do them, is because there's this sudden moment where you're on a silent retreat mm. where you suddenly say, nothing matters. Not, not nothing, but, but nothing that I think at times matters. Actually matters. People don't care who you are. Be- people don't care how smart you are, how tall you are, how whatever you are. You, you're just here, and nobody's interested. They
0: still see your hair, and though. And it's
1: just you, Same. and 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 it's just God. And suddenly you get this moment of like, oh my goodness, that's that's what it reduces down to. And it's so healthy. It's so life giving. Um, because even like the weirdness of being in, you know, think of Aaron mm. and my. my Aaron and I both have jobs where, you know, South isn't a huge church, but 400-odd people listen to Aaron sing songs every week and listen to me talk about stuff for 40 minutes. There's not many jobs that you get to do that in. Um, that, that's a rarity. So, so it's quite easy to start saying, like, oh, people want to listen to me talk every week. The the, so so like silent retreats have just been this wonderful way for me to say, and any gifting that is there is simply because God gave it, Hmm. Um, and that actually, when you start to think that you matter because people want your opinion all the time, God gets to bring you back to home and uh, just that you and Him thing.
0: Yeah, just to affirm that I broke my voice six or so years ago and I went on vocal rest for eight weeks, (laughs) I realized how much of my identity came in my ability to exert my will in the world with my vocal cords. Mm. Um, Did you still try and pick the
1: songs, even though you weren't leading?
0: Uh, No, it became like a dialogue because I wasn't leading, right? Like sometimes I could offer recommendations, but it was pretty much a dialogue with whoever was leading, but it was, It was infuriating at first because you're like, um, you don't realize how much your voice and the words, especially for someone who talks a lot, (laughs) um, how much you can exert your will. You can extend your world into the rest of the world using words. Um, Anyway, fascinating. But Hmm. just to affirm that yeah, silence sometimes is helpful. Other questions? We have time for a couple more. <laughs> you almost got it right. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just joking. I was just Seminary, joking. <laughs>
1: Seminary grad over there. You've got to watch them. Uh, okay, yeah. I feel like it just wasn't quite there. And so the reason I'm so interested in that is
0: because, you know, I really got into the idea of healing the but above enough to go on the certain series. But for Dallas Willard, it's a Mm. Like, in, real, in
1: the real world, like what is the kingdom of mm. God? Yeah, it's, it's God. Yeah, that's a great question. Jesus, like, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I get that, but is it, is it more? So I'm just curious if you can put it a little bit on mm. what is the kingdom of God. Yeah. What is the so kingdom the, of God is, the, is a question above almost any other question. like because Which is
0: why it's worth a very long series in two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. hmm-hmm
1: Yeah So I, again, I think part of the problem is you could give a solid definition, which might be it, which I think I actually threw in in terms of like it was in an NT right quote, you could just throw out the idea that the kingdom of God is the rule of God. Um, the, the, the problem with that is that there's so many sub-questions to that, like where, the rule of God, where? You know, when Jesus says to pray, um, our Father art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's, it seems this clear acknowledgement that right now there is a kingdom happening somewhere in a way that it isn't happening here now, and that our longing should be for that kingdom to be here now, even though he's here now in that present yeah. moment. So, so like the idea that the kingdom is both a present reality and a future hope seems pretty locked into Jesus' sharing of the kingdom. It's already here. It's not yet here. It's kind of up there, or at least in a Jewish sense, up there versus down here. It's elsewhere, and it's not here yet, but it will be one day. But it's also here now. Is like, is just the tension that he lands us with. Um, it would be so nice if he, he made that crystal clear, but he leaves all, like, it's a spatial thing that is somewhere else and not now. It's like, that, so it's got that vertical element. It's a horizontal time thing. It's kind of here, but it will be here more in the future. And all of those things he just leaves, mm-hmm. leaves lurking. But again, like, the question is, like, the kingdom is everywhere where you see God's rule fully lived out seems to be this baseline definition that he lands us with.
0: So Dallas Willard actually has a really, I think, concise definition that was really helpful for me. But the first time you hear it, it may not be that helpful because it's Dallas Willard and he says, like, one-sentence things that are so dense that it's hard to even consume. He says, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. So the kingdom of God is how far his effective, where, where, what God wants to have happen has actually happened. So it's the range of God's effective will, which same definition of your kingdom or my kingdom. So when I lost my voice, the range of my effective will was reduced Mm -hmm. because I couldn't exert my will into the world with my voice. So the range of it was smaller. So the kingdom of God is where what God wants to have happen, uh, things happen, actually takes place. But you know that's again a semi-flawed. I think it was a really helpful definition. It feels like it's like
1: the Dallas Willard version. Is that a Dallas Willard version of N.T. Wright saying it's the rule of God? Yes. Um, And actually, like uh, the rule of God, I think has.
0: The it's missing the effective piece of that. Because the reality is he rules over everything. He created it all, he can own it, he can f- do whatever he wants. So there is, his range is maximal in the rule of God. So, but if you but say it is in the effectiveness
1: rule, as well. It's it just what he's chosen.
0: Yeah, I think they would be really good friends, actually. In M. actual Wright, fact, this, I actually heard M.T. Wright
1: <laughs> was asked a question, like, have you read any Dallas Willard? And he actually said, do you know what? No, because I think we say the same stuff. And you, every time someone says something similar to you, it's kind of irritating. And you kind of like say, I wish I could say that just a little bit differently. <laughs> and he said, bizarrely, he was given a Dallas Willard Award for kingdom representation. That not even mean. I've never read this guy. No
0: idea. <laughs> that's funny. I don't know if that's helpful. But yeah, for me, that was a really helpful definition. Um, but yeah, like Alex said, it's a which is why it's like a constant conversation and the whole Sermon on the Mount is this like painting pictures of illustrating telling stories about the kingdom over and over and over again I think the other piece of the puzzle for this kingdom conversation though is we miss it in our day and age maybe Alex gets it a little bit better because he comes from a monarchy but um, we we miss how politically charged that statement is because in their day and age kingdom is like saying uh declaring a party right so just saying the kingdom of god is at hand is saying i've chosen the political party i vote kingdom of god now the tricky part of that conversation is it's it's very politically charged and it's uh especially in jesus's day so uh it means you have to like if we decide hey we're going to choose the kingdom we're automatically not choosing any other political framework so that doesn't think, mean we don't engage political conversation or dialogue um, in some sense but we're choosing a third party as it were we're voting kingdom of god rather than democrat or republican we're voting kingdom it's oh a very man, politically I feel charged like that
1: opens a minefield i mean i think the question of like What do they think what did his disciples think he was talking about with the kingdom is kinda complicated and and kind of interacts with what do we think he's talking about when he talks about kingdom and what does he think he's talking about when he's talking about kingdom which is
0: why they don't get him half the time because they think it's a political like they think he's gonna take over Rome and set up his political, physical, on earth kingdom. And Jesus is keep moving them towards a spiritual so, unfolding that has real world implications, like actual physical law and implications, real world. But it doesn't usurp the Roman authorities. It's a yeah, it's a very so there
1: is this fascinating conversation I think scripturally around, and you, there's I think more and more writers been writing on this in the last ten years than certainly there was like twenty years ago, around like how God's kingdom is shaped around the city at the end of Revelation and how that interacts with the garden at the start of Genesis. So, like, was God's plan always for it to go from being a garden to being a city? Um, Because if you think about, like, taking sin out of the Bible, you really end up with, like, this pamphlet that's, like, four pages long. You get Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you get Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's like, we went from there to there, and that was it. And so, like, was that God's plan? That, like, when you put together lots of gardens, do you end up with a city? And then there's other people that, that have started to say, well, no, maybe cities were, God's, were humans' rebellion against God's picture of a garden. Because almost all the references to cities in scripture are negative references. Like it gets kind of like, like um, and Babel, like your, your question about mm, Babel is maybe yeah. the first example of that. Um, it, it's this or first or second example. It's this moment where human beings set up their own kingdom in opposition to God visibly. Uh, and Nimrod seems to be this first person that does that. He, he gets into the face of God. So there's some people that have said, no no no, God didn't plan for cities, but he redeemed cities. And that's why there's a city at the end of scripture. But but there is this tie into city and kingdom in scripture, which makes it very place orientated, even though it's got that definite connotation of rule or influence or like people even tried to start using the ecosystem of god which always felt kind of weak to me but for a while that was like this push into new language simply because as americans we don't understand kingdom um so was trying to give it new language but but again it it seems like the tension is comfortable it can be a place and it can be completely non-place it can be now and it can be not now and that's the best we can do well, that's certainly the best I can do. Hopefully, someone writes a book that, like, is like, none of that explained it perfectly. But even Dallas Willard's term, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of happy with that, but I'm kind of not happy with that.
0: Dallas Willard's a genius. I vote Dallas Willard. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was helpful for me. So, when I pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done, what I'm at in my mind, just because of that definition, again, I, I can't worship Dallas don't Willard. But you want but a place?
1: Don't you want a place? There's no place in that.
0: I just want all the places. I want Jesus' way to seem like to, an
1: answer. <laughs> I want his way
0: to just penetrate all of the universe and all the created order. It is eight o'clock.
1: Yeah, we told everyone they could go home at 8 o'clock.
0: We could, you can go home. We have The stream will continue it for another 15 minutes live online. So we, I'm willing to, to yeah, field really. more questions. And if it shuts off uh, if, in a few minutes, then so be it.
1: But that feeling that you have, like if you stand up, that a spotlight will shine on you and someone will say, you're free to leave, but could you tell us why? Uh, after 8 o'clock, that isn't going to happen. Um, yeah, if you stood so, up prior
0: to this, yeah. I put it on camera. Just <laughs> joking. I didn't actually. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So I love okay, Kathy, yeah. I think you actually just brilliantly pointed out the absolute tension here because so for those listening, uh, Kathy mentioned this, this scripture that says the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but is righteousness peace and joy. That the and also tension is that there's this picture of righteousness, which is you living rightly before God and being at peace internally and being full of joy internally. And then there's all of these references to kingdom throughout the Old Testament, which his disciples would have pictured as a city that had justice within it, or a place, physical, that had justice, that there was no war, and that kids played joyfully in the streets. And, and again, like, it seems like scripture is okay with both of those. It, it, Jesus even says provocatively to his disciples, or perhaps to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within You know after all of this sense of like spatial and like he's like yeah and it's within um so so it's it's almost Mm -hmm. like it just keeps pushing us into this like it's both
0: um and he says the kingdom of god's like a mustard seed and the kingdom like he just goes on and on and on to describe it and illustrate it and tell stories about it because it's bigger and broader and it's metaphysical but it's physical Mm -hmm. and it's on and on and on yeah
1: yeah yeah, I, th- I think that—and isn't that some of the beautiful mystery of faith? Like, we're left with all of these facets. It's like looking at this stone with endless facets to mm. it. And, and we, we, we wrestled with that with healing. We, we talked a lot about listening to God's voice during this season of church life or this, this past year. And one of the quotes that i meant to use, that I, that I forgot to use during that season, was um, was Mother Teresa— Um, Hmm. And there's this brilliant moment where she says, um, "Dan, I think Dan Rather, the news anchor, is interviewing her at this moment. And he says to her, like, what do you say when you pray? Um, And she said, I don't say anything, I listen. Um, And kind of Dan Rather looks at her with this kind of like weird look. And he's like, okay, like, and what does God say? He says, he doesn't say anything, he listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. And it's like one of these Zen moments where she drops this incredible, like, like faith lesson on this kind of secular news anchor. Uh, and and every mm. one of us that have kind of grown in a personal relationship with Jesus would say, oh, yeah, I know what she's talking about. Like, there's been moments in my life where it's like I didn't have anything to say, uh, and it didn't feel like God necessarily said anything, but I knew he was there. And that was all that was important in that moment. Mm. Um And so, so many of these things, like, you feel like some similar answer could be true. Like, Jesus is almost desperately trying to explain to his disciples what the kingdom is uh, without just saying, you'll know it when you see it. Um, And all of us (laughs) have those moments where we see something happen. Um, You know, I, I was in Haiti lots of times over a short period, and I remember this moment where I took a bunch of kids to the ocean for the first time in their lives. Uh, and we came up with this plan that we would have them go in in groups of 20. And uh, there were 60 of them, so we kind of sent the first 20 in, and we were going to hold the other 40 on the beach because we were worried about lifeguards and stuff. Uh, and I watched as this like very porous line of American white teenagers slowly started to let kids slip through, and suddenly every kid that we'd taken is swimming in this crystal clear water for the first time in their lives, even though they live 40 minutes away from it. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, that's the kingdom of God. I don't know why it's the kingdom of God, but I, yeah, yeah, perhaps so. And, and and this beautiful lady who's now mm. sadly passed away at a fairly young age, but we'd had this running joke because um, she'd cooked for us all week, and, and it takes a lot of work to cook for 150 people over a courtyard fire. I'd regularly go and say, "Hey, hey, Libby, thanks so much," and she'd look at me and she'd um, she'd just go Padaqua for what? Um, and and that was her repeated phrase. And and in this moment of ocean joy, she came up to me and she just said, "Alex, thank you so much for doing this." And I just got to look at her and go Pas de quoi? Um you know, it it, it was hmm. the kingdom, and I don't know why it was the kingdom. And if people can't understand why it was the kingdom, I might say I can't explain it to you. Uh, huh.
0: That's awesome. Other questions? We'll have the pickleball tournament now. That's hmm. Yeah. That'll be harder to stream. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, thinking about faith works, I think what's okay for me in that is the so, um, Hmm. Hmm. So be totally off. <laughs> um, so, just to use that analogy, if I make
1: a that I love my spouse, uh-huh. Yeah.
0: regardless mm-hmm. of how much
1: presented well, Yeah. A really good question. Mm. Um, so
0: yeah, how do you, you repeat that? Yeah,
1: yeah. If you didn't hear the question, it was, um, like there's a, a connection between grace and works
0: or faith, yeah, faith, or, yeah, faith, and, faith yeah.
1: and works. There's, there's this question of like how do you offer grace to people, how, which I think has become code for acceptance. Um, but I think there's they're probably not synonyms in the way that I said faith and trust were synonyms, I would say. They're mistaken synonyms, maybe. Huh.
0: Um,
1: and so, so how do you give grace to people, and also um, like give truth to people? Uh, so, so I think, firstly, that is, is I think something has become, to me at least, really apparent. Now, loving someone um, has become synonym for uh, for acceptance or approval, even. Like, that's what nice people do. They approve of everything somebody does. Um, And so I think that's almost become, like, a a toxic element to our culture. Um, Because, yeah, I I think we would all have said probably 20 years ago, you didn't have to approve of everything that somebody did to love them. Now, again, maybe that's a a kind of naive view of the past, but it certainly (laughs) feels like there's been a significant shift in society. Um, So so I think uh, somewhere... Being able to say to someone, I don't agree with you, while also keeping a relationship is what we're all longing for. And we don't quite know how to get there. Hmm. Um, And so it feels like, to me, the biggest toxic issue with it is that now we've got to a point where we think these debates happen over social media or happen over internet waves. And and for whatever reason, it, it just seems we're comfortable saying stuff to people over the internet that we would never say to someone's face. Uh, so, so that's kind of like the mystery of modern society a little bit, the fact that you think you can have faceless debates or faceless conversations. Um, where, when it, that, that, That's obviously like building the plane as we're going. It's all like new well,
0: it's almost, to everybody. It's, it's almost like the, if you're face-to-face, it's too much grace, but if you're not face-to-face, it's too much truth, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, it's almost like this
1: exactly. yeah, strange, yeah. weird yeah.
0: polarity that's yeah. in our society now.
1: So, so I think that I think real relationship seems to be the, the antidote to it, and actually getting to know someone who thinks something differently to you, um, while also not treating that person as a project. And I think th- those are always just tensions we're going to have to manage. Mm-hmm. Jesus somehow seems to be able to do that. It seems like Jesus is able to demonstrate to people he's very interested in them, um, genuinely interested, and transformation comes after. Um, So so I think one of the things that I'm just intrigued by is, like, I'd, I'd love it if societally we could claim some of the covenantal aspect of eating with people. Um, Like, I think that's why why I think I always talk about hospitality in church as as this really important element. Something changes when you have that hospitality moment. You know, Mm. something changed. I always used to say something changed in a relationship. And I was pastoring a much smaller church um, at the time. But and this is going to sound kind of weird, maybe. I don't know. But if I could get someone... Sitting, I always used to say sitting on my living room floor in their socks and other clothes because that felt like a caveat you had to make. But if we could get to that relational point where they were like making my home their home, the relationship had changed. Like there was a closeness that was now magical. Um, and they would stick around church even when they were wrestling with all of these different things. Uh, and some of the great conversations we